The Crazy Diamond True Story podcast is a podcast that has really taken off, and we are so ecstatic that our listeners are sharing this content out. We feel this content is very important because it brings awareness to bipolar disorder 1 as well as many other mental disorders. We will continue to bring episodes to you guys, and we really just want to let you know how much we appreciate you. Thank you so much, and enjoy episode 4. Crazy Diamond is based on the life of a woman living with bipolar disorder 1. It reflects her experiences with this mental disorder. The writer of this story has given me full access to share in hopes that it reaches those who need help and to bring awareness to the disorder. The writer wishes to remain anonymous. The content in Crazy Diamond may be triggering and we recommend the assistance of a medical professional for help and diagnosis. If you or anyone you may know is thinking about suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. I was thinking about the shadow man and how he wasn't in the lounge room with me tonight when Claude interrupted my thoughts and said, Edie, it's your turn. I played my Uno card and Alfonso smiled and drew a card from the deck. If you win again, I swear you really are some kind of psychic, he said. And I was confused for a moment that he knew anything about the abilities I'd claimed to have when I got here. Then I looked over at Claude and she was staring at the ground for once and not gazing at me with her usual puppy dog eyes. She had told him about me at some point, I realized, but why would she be talking to Alfonso about me? She was always calling me her best friend, but... She seemed to be sporting one face around me and another around everyone else, especially when I wasn't around. I said nothing to Alfonso's comment and watched Claude take her turn. I laid down my final card and each of them sighed and Alfonso threw his hands up. Yep, it's official. You're just who you claim to be. I think I'm going to go read in my room, I said getting up from my chair abruptly and remembering the book I'd picked out from the music room during the day. It was around 9pm and the nurses would be making all of us go to bed within the next couple hours, so I wanted to get through some chapters. You're so boring, said Claude, and I could tell she was genuinely annoyed, but I didn't know why until I saw Alfonso stand up from the table too. He announced he was going to his room to write some poetry, and Claude sulked. I guess I'll just go roam the halls. Abner sometimes comes out of his room around this time and walks around. Maybe I'll wait for him, she said, childishly pouting as her lower lip puckered. Alfonso looked amused by her, but irritated as well. He bid me goodnight and was off down the hall, and I went down the opposite one, ignoring Claude and not even telling her goodnight. Raziel was leaning against the wall as I passed by to get to my room. You were caught in the crossfire of childhood and stardom, he said. And then he proceeded to walk away from me and toward the lunch area. I entered my room, turned on the light, and flopped down on the bed. When I reached for my book, I reread the title, Jacob Have I Loved, 
When I opened the first page, there was a Bible verse someone had written in pen on the side of the first paragraph. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Romans 9.13 I read it and wondered what it meant. As I began to read the book, I realized that the main character felt like God hated her, like her choices in life were always doomed. This was my interpretation, at least. I realized I felt the same way, like God was punishing me with this illness, if that's what it really was. I thought of my best friend who I'd lost when I went into a particularly scary state when intoxicated in front of him. I showed him the fresh cuts on my thighs and began explaining to him that I wasn't meant for this world. Why hadn't God intervened and showed him the things I was seeing at the time? The voices and the shadow man. He hadn't known, and he was shocked and chose the only solution he could, which was to distance himself and his life from me. His distance was so painful though. I felt like someone had ripped a vital organ out of my body, and I was still slowly bleeding to death from the hole its absence had created. If what Dr. Navarra said was true, how could I ever explain myself to him? How could I ever apologize for such insane behavior? I closed the book, shut off the bedroom light, and turned over in my bed, staring at my glowing bracelet. Would I see things clearly sometime soon, like Farah had said? Would this medicine fix the so-called sickness lingering in my mind that everyone but me seemed to think I possessed? I closed my eyes, shutting them so tightly they stung. I slept, for how long, I don't know. Out of nowhere, someone was shaking me awake, however. It was Claude, and she was poking my side and whispering my name in the dark. I turned over in my bed and faced the outline of her plump body the hallway light illuminated. Edie, Alfonso says he kissed you. Did that really happen? She asked. Her voice was almost angry-sounding, and I felt thoroughly fucking irritated. It was like a two-second thing, I responded, sitting up and rubbing my eyes. She was silent for a moment, and then she scooted off my bed and stood before me. Well, I think he finds me real interesting. We sat out in the lunch area for a while and talked about his yoga. He has his own personal way of practicing it, and he says he might show me. She voiced this as if she was trying to make me jealous, but she was far from doing so. I didn't care the least about Alfonso's affections, and I had just started to come to the conclusion that I was actually mentally ill. I had no interest in this conversation. He's writing poetry again in his room, and I walked by and he smiled at me. I got butterflies. She waited for a response, but I gave her none. And after a few minutes, she said, Abner and I are walking up and down the halls. Do you want to come out and walk with us? I wanted to tell her to fuck off, but something about Claude made me feel that she was damaged in a way that made it so she couldn't help herself from being so aggravating. I recalled the fact that she tried to kill herself before arriving here. Did I really want to push her away when she felt like I was her best friend? Of course I couldn't stand her, but... Who was I to tell her to blow all her best friend bullshit out her ass and to leave me to myself? 
I did feel some kind of compassion for the girl. I mean, fuck. I felt compassion for everyone in here. I'll come, I finally said, swinging my legs over the bed and brushing my fingers through my hair. I could feel it sticking up in all kinds of random spots on my head. I hated it so much. I remembered that chopping it all off had seemed like such a grand idea at the time, almost like I was saying fuck you to the world. Really, I just fucked myself and my appearance. When I got out into the hallway, Abner was standing by the gargantuan door that locked us inside this place. He looked up and smirked. Gonna join us on our walk tonight? He asked, striding up to the two of us. I guess, I replied, and we all three began walking up and down the hallways. When we got to the other end of the hall for the third time, I noticed there was a glass window on the wall where you could see some kind of room inside that held music instruments and some lunch trays. I could see my reflection, the very thing I'd tried to avoid since being here my first night. I surveyed the girl before me, realizing it was me, skin and bone and dark circles under my eyes. My hair was messy and I was absentmindedly putting my hand to it to try to straighten the strands, but then I stopped, and I realized it would be no good. What are you doing? Abner asked, standing beside me as Claude looked at her reflection and began tidying up her ponytail and tugging at her tight t-shirt. Just looking, I said, turning away to face him. I didn't know I looked like such shit. You don't look like shit. You're like the skinniest girl I've ever seen, but I like the way you look. It wasn't as if I didn't appreciate the compliment, but I was tired of both him and Alfonso and the way they always seemed to be trying to romanticize my fucked up body in this fucked up place. I didn't like the way I looked and that was all that mattered to me. I didn't care what anyone else thought because I felt like I looked like a shell of the person I used to be. And besides, they hadn't seen me before my weight loss or haircut. They didn't know a goddamn thing. I'm going back to bed, I said, and before either of them could say a word, I was making my way back to my bedroom. I could tell Claude hadn't been happy about what Abner had said, and I felt like I would just do her a favor and leave the two of them alone. Fine, Tink. We'll keep walking through these lovely gardens while you go back to bed and try to scare those nightmares away, Abner called after me. I smiled amused that he was comparing the hallways of a mental institution to some kind of garden pathway to be frolicked through. When I was nearly to my room, I felt something small and wet drop onto the top of my head and slide down its side. I wiped it away with my hand immediately and looked at the palm of my hand. It was stained with a red smear. I looked up at the ceiling and realized blots of what I could only describe as blood were dripping slowly from the tiles. I moved to the other side of the hallway, but they kept reaching me and falling harder now onto my head and all over my body. When I looked down, the hallway was filling up like a pool that smelled of copper. I almost screamed until I saw the child version of myself again standing in front of me and this time she looked to be alive. Break the cycle, she said to me, her voice like mine and not deep like in the dream I'd had of her before. 
I could hear what sounded like echoes of the man and woman arguing in my mind, but I couldn't make out what they were saying. It was like this child, this version of me, was somehow drowning them out. Blood was everywhere, and I slipped and fell into the pool that was all around me. It was likely to consume me if I stayed on the floor, but I couldn't bring my attentions away from the child who now stooped and came forward eye to eye with me. Will you kill us? Will you mend us? Will you open your eyes? Her voice seemed different towards the end of the sentence she spoke. I realized I had my eyes shut tight and now a different voice was in my ear. Open your eyes, Edie. Open your eyes. Come on. When I finally opened my aching eyes, a young nurse with long, curly blonde hair was seated next to me, with one hand beneath my head and another checking my pulse. Abner and Claude were standing over me, looking horrified. Edie, do you remember what happened? Did you pass out? Feeling faint? Asked the nurse. Her name was Lila. I saw on the badge she wore around her neck with her picture on it. I took a moment to look around and realized all the blood was gone, and I was back in the hallway just as it had been before the first drops of it had fallen. I sat up and leaned against the wall. Easy does it, said Lila, and another nurse came over and looked me up and down. Elizabeth, her name badge said. She had a short bob haircut that was red with flecks of blonde through it, and her face looked worried as she stared at mine. I'm all right, I finally managed to say. I just need to go to bed. I'm just very tired. I didn't think I needed to tell them about what had actually happened because, really, how the fuck would I explain that? We're going to have to take your blood pressure and then, if you still feel okay, you can go to bed. We'll be telling the doctor about this tomorrow, said Lila and I was utterly annoyed that I just couldn't go straight to my bed and leave this fucked up night behind me. I let them both help me to my feet and to the chair up at the front of the lunch area where the blood pressure machine stood nearby. You gonna make it, champ? Abner asked, his gaze wary as he watched them slide on the blue cuff and begin pumping it up. Yeah, are you sure you're okay? Claude asked but she didn't seem to be nearly as concerned about me as she was with getting Alfonso's attention as she saw him suddenly exit his room and walk toward us. What's happening? He asked as he made his way over to all of us, and the nurses at last slipped the cuff from my arm. She just kind of fell down, Claude told him with a bored expression, as if she was annoyed that both boys seemed to be more focused on me. You fainted? Alfonso asked me, and I shook my head as I got up from the chair and the nurses stood close by, acting as if I may fall down again. I just got a little dizzy. I'm fine now. Can I go to bed? I asked Nurse Elizabeth. She and Lila both nodded. Go ahead, hun, Lila said, motioning down the hall toward my room. We'll be doing checks, and if you feel dizzy again, please call for us at once. I nodded and began making my way down the hall again, leaving everyone behind without a word. I almost closed my eyes as I neared my doorway, but I saw nothing out of the ordinary, and so I walked inside and curled up in my bed. 
I shut my eyes and started trying to make sense of what I had just seen, but I couldn't understand it no matter how much I tried. My mental exhaustion took over quite swiftly, and I fell into a deep sleep that wasn't disturbed until the lights were flicked on in the morning. If you're enjoying the Crazy Diamond podcast, be sure to share us out on all of your favorite social media platforms and with your friends. More episodes coming shortly.